0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com. Featuring this week's interviews with Danielle Taylor and Dennis the Menace Bermudez is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. Human Weapon is an MMA clothing company for MMA fans by MMA fans. They show off the sport you love without looking like a walking tattoo sleeve. And that's because Human Weapon has good, clean, simple graphics on high quality shirts. Don't just take my word for it. Head on over to humanweapon.com and use promo code FLOW for 15% off when you find something you love. And you will find something you love. Human Weapon brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby-Ringley with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dennis the Menace Bermudez, who fights Andre Touchy-Feely at UFC on Fox 27 on January 27th. Uh, Dennis, let's start off with your last fight. Uh, you lost a very controversial split decision close to home to Darren Elkins. Uh, when you were done with that fight and they were reading the results, did you think you had done enough to win the fight?
1: Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm really tough on myself you know, in terms of how I perform. Um, so in the actual fight, when we we're fighting, I was like, oh man, I think I lost. Like, I don't know, he had a couple more takedowns than me, a little more control, but I did mess him up on my feet, you know. Um, but sometimes when I'm hitting somebody, it doesn't appear, I don't appear to be, you know, messing him up as much as when I, when I re-watch it from a, from a third-person view, so... had gone back and watched the tape, like, you know, two or three times. I was like, man. And I'm very, like I said, I'm very crucial and and, and very, like, tough on myself. And I was like, I definitely won that fight. I got, that fight got stolen from me, Mm -hmm. you
0: know? Yeah, and I think a lot of people in the stands uh, felt the same way, as you could obviously hear from, like, the Mm -hmm. booing. And some of that's due to fighting close to home. Now, a lot of fighters have told me fighting close to home is a dream come true. Others have told me it's a nightmare. Looking back now, in hindsight, uh, how do you feel about having a UFC fight in Long Island? Would you want to do it again if they came back?
1: Um, I don't know. There, there's something about being away from home and and, and, and kind of getting into your zone versus fighting at home and doing the things you do every day you know that doesn't sometimes doesn't set off the switch that it's go time you know i slept in my own bed i you know made food in my own oven and stuff like that and then i I drove to the arena almost like i was driving to the gym to to spar you know Mm -hmm. um i don't think that has i I don't know I i don't think it has anything to 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 do with why i i lost but there's definitely some added pressure if there's more people there um there for you and support and uh you know everyone hey can I come stay with you can I can we get together afterwards and you know it's like hey man I'm trying to focus here
0: you know yep hey uh and so you know obviously that that's a fight you felt like you won uh while you were in the cage a little bit definitely afterwards How, how do you rebound from a fight like that? Because, you know, when you lose one decisively, there's some obvious takeaways. What what are the big takeaways from a fight like that? Um,
1: you know, I, I guess I could have been a little bit more aggressive and put more pressure on. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I, I take the things that maybe I thought I did negatively in the fight or my preparation for the fight, and I just bring it towards this fight. Now, you know, I'm really trying to put that fight behind me because, you know, there's nothing I can do now. It's just, you know,
0: move forward. Yeah, and so let's talk about moving forward. So your your next matchup is Andre Feely, who's kind of been a fringe top 15 guy for a while. Uh, a lot of people see a lot of promise in him. You know, how, how do you sort of see this fight going uh, with such a unique style that you're going to face off with?
1: Um, He's a, a more of a stand-up fighter, um, which is which is cool. Uh, He's got, you know, long range, so we're looking to get inside that and and work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously the wrestling background helps here too, but he's, you know, been kind of slick off of his back. Is there any worry that his jiu-jitsu is going to give you problems? No. (laughs) All right, none at all. Um, So let's talk about a little futuristic stuff here too, because obviously, you know, you've been kicking around the top 15 for a while now, especially after that long win streak that you had. Uh, looking at the top of the division, and it's really changed since that win streak, uh, you, along with Conor McGregor, the last two people to beat the now champion Max Holloway, what has it kind of been like watching his ride to the top?
1: Um, Styles make fights, you know, for sure. Um, I think my style doesn't match up very well for for Max. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that his style is, is better or worse than mine um, i also think he's done some growing up since we've we fought and uh become a, a more of a well-rounded fighter but i think the same about myself um you know just we're i'm just trying to evolve to get back to to fight max again
0: yeah, and, and, you know, so it's four and a half years since the last time you fought him, and, and you made a good point. Both of you have done a ton of growing up, uh, but do you see that a second fight would go similarly to the first one with, with you largely, you know, sort of bullying your way around the cage?
1: I, I would like to think so.
0: Yeah. And uh, and, and so his, his next fight is most likely with Frankie Edgar, who who is a local guy as well. Uh, do you mm-hmm. like his chances against somebody like Frankie Edgar who has, you know, somewhat of a similar style to you? I don't. I think
1: I think Frankie wins.
0: Brings that back to the East Coast. Maybe we see a little East Coast versus East Coast matchup down the line.
1: For sure. That would be, uh, be, you know. I had asked to fight Frankie Edgar at the first time that they were fighting at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, through the grapevine, I heard that they – Offers Frankie Edgar, me, and Jeremy Stevens, and he
0: does Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, well, <laughs> again, you you mentioned that Styles make fights, so if you're looking for a, a you know a stylistic matchup, the last thing somebody like Frankie Edgar wants is you know a carbon copy of himself. You know, in a way, you know, right. wrestling base, really, really tough as hell. Uh, you know, you, you could see why you might choose Jeremy Stevens, right?
1: Yeah, for one thousand, it, it, it wasn't. Uh... I didn't take it as he's ducking me. I was like, he thinks he's
0: easier to fight. And, you
1: know, there was almost like a compliment a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's certainly a compliment. Now, I I wanted to change kind of ask kind of a funny question to sort of end this off. You, uh, You currently hold the Guinness Book of World Records for drinking a liter of lemon juice through a straw faster than any other human being ever has. What led you to even trying such a thing? Uh,
1: I was at the right place at the right time. (laughs) I was, um,
0: working with one of my
1: sponsors and they had like, you know, kind of all their athletes and, and gamers and models, you know, doing this event. And then one of the people they sponsor is Furious Pete. and He has multiple, uh, Guinness Book of World Records. So when he reached out to Guinness Book of World Records and told them that he's going to attempt to break the record for the fastest time to drink lemon juice. Guinness Book of World Records was all all about it. And they had showed up, you know. And so as kind of like a joke, you know, everybody tried it. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'll, you know, take a few sips and I'll spit on the guy next to me. It'll be funny. And then they started a countdown. And I was like, oh, we're competing. <laughs> so, like, you know what, Dennis? Give it all you got. And I did. And I was the black, I was the black horse there
0: that day. Nice. So uh, I got to ask, so it's obviously some of the competitive juice, uh, pun intended here, uh, flowing through you to get that world record. Any other random records on the radar that you might try, or would you do something like that again? Uh,
1: For sure. I'm in cahoots with uh, the Guinness Book of World Records now, and um, we've got like three uh, other things I might possibly be able to conquer. Um, One's like a to drink a frozen drink, one is to to drink ketchup and the other one's to drink mustard and they're you know, different amounts and certain times. So I'm like, uh, maybe.
2: I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, that certainly sounds like some of the random, most random collection of records any human being has ever held. Uh, so we look forward to that, but we also look forward uh, to your Fight in the Cage, which, once again, for the fans, is on UFC on Fox 27, and that's on January 27th. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much again for the time. Thank you. This is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and I have the pleasure of speaking to Danielle Taylor, who fights J.J. Aldrich at Ultimate Fight Night St. Louis on January 14th. Uh, D- Danielle, let's let's start with uh, early in your career here. So you made your debut, you're only 23 years old, uh, which is only four, a little over four years ago. What got you into MMA when you did?
3: Um, well, what got me into MMA was, uh, joining the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Um, I joined in, uh, 2010. And, um, I'd never fought before, so I just wanted to, uh, some self defense. And my dad, he told me about a boxing coach that he knew, knew of, and, um, it was at a gym called SoCal Fight Factory. And then I started training like jujitsu wrestling first there and competing to make sure stuff works. And, um, I, I was winning, so I really enjoyed it. And my old, uh, coach, like, talked me, talked me into fighting pretty much, because I didn't know if I wanted to fight. And he said, you should try it. So, um, I started with boxing, did two amateur boxing fights, I won. And then I did two amateur, uh, em- or, sorry, two amateur Muay Thai fights, and I won. And so I decided, uh, June 30th, 2012, to, um, try nma and the rest of history
0: yeah and do you remember that debut uh you know what were you thinking the first time you ever stepped into a cage because obviously it's much different than boxing in in muay thai
3: uh um, i was really scared <laughs> i was like <laughs> terrified i kept <laughs> second guessing myself like what am i doing what am i thinking like i almost got teary-eyed a couple times going, oh my god i don't know if i'm ready for this and first round armbar got it in and out of the way and I was like, wow, that's it. I really loved it, enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and and so from there, you did you uh, after it seemed so easy at first. Did you ever dream that sort of uh, it would become sort of this big piece of your life like it is now?
3: Um. Well, as I kept winning, I I knew I wanted to I wanted to be in the UFC. I knew I was uh, I was talented enough to make it. And so since since back then, I just had a a drive and i'm gonna keep pushing myself and working as hard as i can and reach my goal and i reached it now the next goal is i want that belt
0: yeah and obviously that happened in a really short period of time too as we mentioned before your your debut in mma was only about four and a half years ago now maybe even a little less than that did did you ever feel like at any point in time that it, it was going you know almost too fast or rushed or did you ever feel like take a second and pause and, and look back at everything?
3: Um, no, I never felt like it was rushed. Nobody ever rushed me to go pro. I did um, seven amateur um, MMA fights, and I felt it was time pro when I went pro. So, no, I felt good. Everything was good. hmm
0: so let's talk a little bit about your opponent for uh, your upcoming fights. You're fighting J.J. Aldrich, uh, who just looking at the the UFC.com page here, it says she's half a foot taller than you. And it seems like most of your opponents are because you're one of the shorter uh, women in the division. What's your sort of your secret for dealing with somebody who, who has that much difference in size to you?
3: Well, I guess ever since I started, everybody's always been taller than me. So I don't, I don't know. I don't really see it as uh since it's MMA and stuff, I don't see it as like a disadvantage to me. I don't know. I feel it's more of an advantage. Mm. I could take down, I could um, level change. And for them to shoot in on me, they're going to have to go really, really low. So I don't know. I've never, I've always, I've always loved it. And I'm used to it because everybody i thought fought has always been taller than me. Mm.
0: And you you mentioned how hard it is for somebody to shoot in on you, and it, it seems like, you know, a couple of your first opponents here uh, sort of are, are jiu-jitsu specialists. You know, Aldrich is, is known to have good jiu-jitsu. You fought Jessica Penne, who you beat by decision, uh, who's got ju- good jiu-jitsu. Do you feel like your style is kind of the, the anti-jiu-jitsu style, that you're able to shut it down easier because uh, you are shorter and lower to the ground than them?
3: Um, yeah, I think, I think that really helped me being a lot shorter because if they're going to shoot it I could see it coming mm-hmm. and it doesn't take much to just sprawl out real quick or defend it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: So let, let's advantage. talk about uh, another one of your, a couple of your former fights here, actually. So your first pro loss was to Jamie Colleen, which very shortly after you avenged that loss. Now you've only got one other loss on your record and it's Mariana uh who won a close split decision in your UFC debut. Is that a Vengeman fight? Sort of another one that's on your radar after Aldridge? Would you like to to get a chance to avenge that that split decision?
3: Whoever they put
0: me up against,
3: I'll be ready for it. Mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to breaking into the top fifteen and then making my way in the top ten.
0: Yeah, that's and, and really and what of, I'm
3: really focused on.
0: Yeah, and I I sort of think too with you know you being so close to the top ten or you know, 10 or 15 right now, being that you're on a two-fight win streak and a division that doesn't have a lot of women in it. Uh, you would think that this fight would probably put you in the top 15. Do you expect sort of to be in that top 15 with the win? And if so, who seems to be on your radar?
3: Um, well, of course, I'm hoping after this fight I could get a top, t- top 15 opponent. Um, somebody on my radar? I I don't, know, I don't really have anybody on my radar right now. I'm just, I want to take these wins, keep capitalizing on them and um, just work my way down the ladder. Like whoever they throw, betters can't be choosers. And I know whoever they throw at me, I'll be ready for them.
0: Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense and, and certainly a company mentality. One one question we want to ask you before you go, uh, we always like to ask people, especially when they're on their way into the top 15, what they think about the top of the division right now. So right now your division is uh, championed by Rose Namajunas, who just picked up a big win over Joanna Jacek. Sort of what do you think about the potential rematch between the two of them, and uh, who do you think has the advantage in that fight?
3: Um, Well, Rose, um, very impressed with her performance and i followed her for a while even when she was in tough house and um she i'm happy she won i was rooting for her um i feel like even if they rematched it i i don't know i feel like she outclassed her Hmm. and she probably wouldn't have any problems beating her a second time
0: well that certainly seems to be the popular take too here and uh, i tend to agree uh Danielle, we wanted to thank you so much for the time in allowing us to catch up with you before your fight. Uh, once again, fans, those, that fight with Danielle Taylor and JJ Aldrich takes place at Ultimate Fight Night St. Louis, and that's on January 14th. Thank you so much again for the time, Danielle.
3: Thank you so much, sir.
0: And those interviews were, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog Brewery is a Canadian craft brewery right next to Vancouver that brings you quality craft brews with no pasteurization and no preservatives, just good, clean beer. So head on over to deadfrog.ca and check out their full selection, or head on over to your nearest liquor store and pick some up today. And we, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on Friday dot slowcombat.com. And that was Danielle Taylor and Dennis Bermudez. Dave, what would you think of Dennis Bermudez?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, thanks to both Danielle and Dennis for coming on the show. And Dennis was very interesting to me because he's at an interesting point in his career, right? Like, he starts his career off with the loss to Diego Brandao. No real uh, shame in that. You know, Brandao's very good on the ground. He lost via armbar. That was in the Ultimate Fighter finale back in 2011. This dude then reels off seven wins in a row. He was a one-time hot up-and-coming prospect who people thought maybe one day could challenge for the title. Back-to-back losses to Ricardo Lamas and Jeremy Stevens kind of derails that talk. Then he comes back with wins over Hani Jason and Kawajiri, but now back-to-back losses again to Elkins and Chan Sung Jung. This is a pivotal point in his career, and I'm very interested to see where it goes because now it's one of two ways, right? I mean, if he loses one more, we might be talking about him no longer in the UFC, uh, but obviously I'd like to see him get back on the win streak and see if we could see that potential come to fruition that we once thought was there in the 2012, 2013 years.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit about the 2012 and 2013 years that you were talking about, too, with that crazy seven-fight win streak. You mentioned it before when we were talking off the air about Dennis Bermudez ahead of time. That was in a day and age where a seven-fight win streak almost guaranteed you a title shot. <laughs> that That's not like modern MMA... Where you can you can pull off that like eight fight nine fight win streak and and not be in title contention. Habib Tony, that was Tony, crazy for yeah. the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Habib Tony, you look at what Max Holloway had to do: ten fight win streak until he got his interim title, then finally fought Jose Aldo last year. I think that was win number ten or eleven, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the divisions are deeper now. You kind of have to play your social media game just right. But you know, back in the day, in the mid. 2000s late 2000s if you had a five fight win streak you were automatically in title contention
0: yeah no shit and and that that's just crazy that he had a seven fight back then and and to your second point I I think he's probably uh in a safe spot in the UFC I mean he is still ranked number 11 so even with a loss that would be three straight as he said that loss to Darren Elkins is kind of controversial he you could be saying he's coming off a win right now uh, depending on who, how you're looking at it, and, and I really like this matchup with with Andre Feeley because I I think he can beat Andre Feeley pretty handedly.
2: I agree with you. I, I mean, I'm picking him over Andre Feeley. Here's the problem, though. Even though it's you know maybe a win in our minds, but not in our hearts, or vice versa. I don't even know. On the record book, it isn't. And MMA is a fickle bitch. I mean, yeah. every year he gets older. So you know what is he right now? He's on the wrong side of thirty, right? He's yeah. thirty one. I think think so. Yeah. So that's what's just so crazy about MMA. Like it would be now. Like he needs to reel off five to six huge wins now with a Mm -hmm. highlight reel knockout. If he if he really wants to
0: get that title shot, I would think. Yeah, I I, I I agree with that, and and you're right too about it being a fickle bitch. In that, like you know, those losses while we count them as a win, as we think about them in like recent memory. Four years down the road, nobody's going to remember how that decision went down. They're just going to see the L, uh, which is kind of unfortunate.
2: Well, I'll tell you something else, though. You know, here's what and I didn't want to get off on this train so long, but it's interesting that we're bringing it up. What can beat a record or what can supersede a record for a title shot? It's the shit talking social media game and it's highlight reel knockouts. And yeah. I don't know that Dennis Bermudez has either of those two in his back pocket that he could just rely on. So that's why this is, you know, it's just so interesting. That's
0: a pivotal time for him.
2: Pivotal time. Pivotal time. Yeah. All right. So Gumby, agree. let's move on. Uh, we did our year in review last episode, this being episode 99, and the beginning of the new year. We'll do something we've done in the past, and that's it's sort of like a prop bet. It's a little bit of predictions. Um, I'm going to ask you, and you have not been cute, clued into these so we're going live here people because we find we're best off the cuff almost like a couple of jazz musicians just riffing we'll go down i'm using the ufc fighter rankings for this and i'll ask you a couple of questions about each division just give me your quick lightning round answer on what you think um holds for 2018 for some of these fighters i'm going to start with the women's featherweight division this is more of a prop than anything else because i i imagine cyborg's just going to be the champion forever no one's beating her will the UFC actually ever have 15 ranked fighters at one time in the featherweight division? Cause I go to the rankings page right now and it's empty. It's
0: not existed. Yeah. I saw that today too. Uh, I say they do fill it out, uh, mostly just because I think the the talk is getting more serious about finding contenders for Cyborg, and I think that win by Cyborg over Holly Holm showed she can be exciting and she can sell fights for the UFC. All
2: right, fair enough. I'll take your word on that. Uh, we'll move to men's heavyweight, and it's so interesting because Stipe and Naganu such a great fight. It happens uh, about a week at this point, or about a week and a half at this point. Uh, I guess my question to you will be this. Is their one title change this y- No, let me put it this way. It, would you go over, under 1.5 title changes this calendar year in the heavyweight division? Oh,
0: shit. That made it really hard. Yeah. 1.5, over, under 1.5? Yeah. I'm going to go under. Under. It's def- It's definitely under if Stipe wins.
2: Right. But if, if Nagano...
0: If Naganu wins, it might be over. Okay. But if Stepe wins, it's probably under.
2: Yeah, so that it's it's an interesting question if I do pat myself on the back for this. Let's say Naganu wins. What you're saying is is that you do hold some credence to the idea that maybe a Kane Velasquez comes back, or maybe even a Stepe comes back in a rematch.
0: yeah, 100. percent Or even somebody like Verdum just could just be a weird matchup for him.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting. So yeah, that's a that's a tough question to ask right now because we're seven days away from really finding out yeah. what the path that that division is mm-hmm. going to take for the the year. All right, at light heavyweight, it's a simple question: Is Daniel Cormier still going to be champion come December thirty first, twenty
0: eighteen? Yeah, I, I gotta think so, unless John Jones comes back. Uh and that that's like a really foggy moment at the moment with like the all the Usada stuff coming out. He might be, you know, exonerated or whatever. But but I think most likely he is because John Jones didn't come back quick enough. But if John Jones comes back, it's his fucking belt. Yeah.
2: All right, very well. Uh very well said. Uh is Robert Whittaker the champion come the end of 2018 in the middleweight division?
0: This is such a hard question. I'm going to say no, because I think if, if you had to give me a percentage, like what, how likely is Robert Whitaker to be the champ at the end of the year, I'd give you like 35%. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is pretty and, good, because that's a killer division.
0: Yeah, and, and and he might be, if we went to like my odds for like what percentage everybody had of likely of being the champ, he might be the highest percentage. Mm-hmm. But it's still less than fifty percent, you know. Like I think there's just too many killers in that division. He's going to have to be Luke Rockhold, Jacare, and maybe like Chris Weidman in a calendar year. And
2: he's lined up to fight about three times too, because he's going to yep. be fighting in February, so that lines him up for maybe they February, put him in August, December. I was going to say maybe fight week in July and then December. So yeah, the, he could have the toughest or championship road all year. Yep. Um, just based for on sure. that fact. And,
0: and Rockhold's a killer first opponent, so I'm going to say no on, on Whitaker.
2: I have a feeling we might disagree on this one. Uh, Welterweight, is Tyron Woodley still the champion come the end of the year?
0: Ah, uh, I just don't think so, for the same fucking reason that I just said Whitaker won't be. It's not that I don't think he's the best guy in the division. Mm-hmm. He's just got... There's four guys I can think of that I think pose Na- a reasonable chance... N- name them. Uh, I, I think... Colby Covington could out-wrestle him. Mm-hmm. I think RDA could out-box him, and I think he could grapple him up. Uh, who is the other one? I was, oh, Darren Till, I think, could knock him out on the feet if uh, Tyrone didn't try to wrestle him. And even if he did, Till is huge. And I think a super underrated pick is Kamara Usman, because Kamara Usman fights this weekend, and that dude's got a fucking crazy long win streak, too. And and he just keeps getting better and better and better and just not keep getting top opponents I think he's a deadly, deadly matchup for Tyrone Woodley somewhere near the end of the year.
2: Yeah, so it's funny. I, I like where your thinking's at. I kind of disagree on not only the UFC. I don't disagree on the UFC's rankings. I, I actually, surprisingly enough, Dos Anjos and Covington are ranked higher than Usman and Till. I give Usman and Till a better chance against Woodley than I do Covington and Dos Anjos. Here's why. No one takes Woodley down. I don't even think Covington would. Uh, I think Woodley would outstrike both Dos Anjos. He's just bigger. Uh, I think he would definitely outstrike Covington. I think Till and Usman match up the best because... I think they could outstrike Woodley, but time will tell. I
0: think I think Till does particularly because of his size. size yeah. But I, I definitely could see RDA outboxing him, too, because RDA's striking looked pretty slick against friggin' Robbie Lawler.
2: Yeah, but he also couldn't knock him out, and he had a torn ACL, and, well, let's not get but into he's, it. But
0: he's never been a knockout artist, right? You know, like, he's always been the guy who just, like, batters you for five rounds.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I give Woodley the edge in that just based on size and everything else, punching power. I think it would go much like the Eddie Alvarez fight for RDA. Okay. All right. Uh at lightweight, here are the two props. Conor McGregor, uh how how, how about this? How many times does Conor McGregor fight in the
0: UFC this year? At the most one. At the most one. I was gonna be I was gonna be pretty upset if you said over or under one half of a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, cause I wouldn't have been able to pick that. I would have, cause that, that's where I'm at right now is he fights GSP during international fight week. If that fight comes up, if GSP agrees to it and if all the money works out, he fights GSP in international fight week. Otherwise he doesn't fight MMA this year.
2: Do you think Eddie Al or sorry, do you think Habib and Tony will finally fight?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think that's next actually
2: in, in the spring. Yep. Yeah. try
0: uh, April time or something.
2: Is Max Holloway still the featherweight champ at the end of the year?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go yes, and uh, kind of you know using that same reasoning we were talking about with Woodley. Who, who's left for challengers for Holloway at this point in time? He's like the only guy in the UFC who's like interested in cleaning out his division, and he's by the time he became champ, he had already done it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He had already beat Lamas, he had already beat Swanson. Now he's beat Aldo twice. You know, like, he's pretty much beat everybody he needed to on the way up, except for Dennis Bermudez, who holds a win over him, uh, Conor McGregor in, if he changes to go back down, in Frankie Edgar.
2: Yeah, I think if the, he could get past... not a lot
0: of, like, scary moments down there, you yeah, know what I mean? I
2: think if he gets past Frankie, I think he matches up very well against Ortega. Uh, oh,
0: yeah, v- hey,
2: Yeah, he matches up very well against pretty much everyone in, I'm looking right now in the top ten. There's no one. Josh Emmett. Yeah. Might
0: be a title challenger. He matches up too well against them.
2: All right. Too quick, too powerful. At bantamweight, uh, I'm actually not going to ask you about the champion, rather, I'm going to ask you about the GOAT bantamweight up to this point, and that's, Mm -hmm. is Dominic Cruz ever going to be champion again?
0: I'm going to say yes, not in 2018, though. You think 2019? Uh, 2019? Yeah, that's probably where I'm thinking. Uh, just because he needs to put together a couple of wins before they're going to give him a title shot. TJ's going to go on the shelf fighting DJ. Uh, we got Jimmy Rivera and Marlon Marias, who might be like a number one contender fight. I heard that's pretty much all but signed. So like before Cruz gets a shot again, we're probably looking at like middle of 2019, but I totally think he could do it. I think he's elusive as shit, and I still think he's super good. Mm -hmm. His takedowns are fucking amazing for a guy who's shaped like he is and that style is still dangerous Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. everybody.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I I just think with him, I worry about the miles on the clock and just the time ticking away.
0: And injury prone is all hell.
2: And injury prone is all hell. All right, at flyweight, I mean, I guess the only prop I can really come up with for you, Gumby, is this. You're at Vegas. You have $1,000. You can bet on the field being anyone. You can bet on anyone at flyweight, and that includes T.J. Dillashaw coming down to flyweight and taking away Demetrius Johnson's title, or you can bet on Demetrius Johnson just giving up his title and retiring into the sunset or coming up to bantamweight. What do you put your $1,000 on? What is more likely, someone beats DJ, or does DJ
0: essentially leave flyweight the champion? I think my first pick would be that I just don't bet that $1,000. I think I just stick it in my pocket because I just think Demetrius is just going to keep fighting and probably retire champion. It feels like it but at this point. You know what
2: I mean? No, that's what I on the second thing. You wouldn't take the field. You would, oh, no, but, I
0: would definitely not take the field. But I'm saying he's never going to – well, I guess he would give up his title. You'd if he's have retiring. to, yeah,
2: if he's retiring.
0: That's true. So, so that would be my bet. Okay. He, he retires the champ.
2: <laughs> All right. Maybe we should have gone over the rules ahead of time. All right. Uh, women's bantamweight, Amanda Nunez, is she still champion at the end of the year?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, no the one... only one I could see her fighting that would give her problems is home and I just think she's better than Holm striking right now.
2: I could see Holm outpointing her, but I agree with you. If I had to place my money in Vegas, I would say Nunes is keeping that belt. Is Nico Montano still the women's flyweight champ at the end of the year?
0: I'm going to surprisingly say yes on this one. Mm. I, I think she's she's better than people are giving her credit for. She hasn't fought very much, which also might play into a good hand here. You know, she might only fight twice in, in 2017. And if you're thinking about the people who are lining up as challengers, I think she was going to beat Sajara Eubanks, um who might be the next in line for the title shot. You know like uh, she already beat Lauren Murphy, she already beat Barb Harnchok.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, she's she already keeping it. she beat
0: Roxy Modafari. She's keeping it. Yeah, I think she's keeping it.
2: All right. Uh and Rose Namigunes, a very interesting champion big upset over uh JJ. You have to figure JJ is going to get a rematch sometime in 2018. Is Rose still the champion come the end of the year?
0: I'm going to say Rose is the champion, but not still the champion. Mm, What do you Uh, mean? I'm going to say she loses it to Ioana and wins it back uh, in a trilogy fight. Because I kind of see Ioana going in and fighting like an overly tactical second fight. And then that forces Rose to make adjustments too. And I see Rose uh, making adjustments well too. But I kind of see like a, a lame point fight approach by Ioana to try to sort of take her title back.
2: Okay, so you could see that title kind of bouncing this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and who wouldn't want to see them fight two or three times in a year?
2: A trilogy within a year. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. They're definitely the two best uh, straw weights. So there you have it. Those are our predictions for the champions, for the divisions. We'll have the intern take all this down, and we'll come back at the end of the year and see how we did. Gumby, let's move to UFC Fight Night 124, an FS1 card this weekend, headlined by Doohoo Choi versus Jeremy Stevens. Does
0: someone, does a great company sponsor this breakdown? A wonderful company sponsors this breakdown. This breakdown is, of course, brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes a breathable, lightweight, easy to drink with, easy to breathe with uh, mouthguard that is comfortable in your mouth. So head on over to SISUguard.com and get the mouth guard that's right for you.
2: Love me a CCU mouth guard. We'll start, you know, we're top turtle, so we're going to start doing our top three to top five fights on the weekend, almost like a countdown. And we'll go with the three fights we're most excited about this weekend. We start with the main event because it's a banger of a main event. You have Jeremy Stevens, who is the plus 150 dog. To do who Choi, a minus 170 favorite, hasn't fought since that Classic Warrior year
0: ago with cup swanson gumby who you got i'm going with with jeremy stevens on this one i can't believe i'm doing it but i, I did a little stat uh study before this and, and you know the thing that stuck out to me about Duhuchoy, yeah he's got power in his hands. but the thing that always stuck out to me was that he won a lot of fights on his output he was constantly throwing more punches than his opponent he lost to cub swanson when he didn't out out sort of outpoint him if he didn't out throw him uh, and everybody lauded him for how much he threw Cub Swanson's way. Look back to Jeremy Stevens's last fight when he beat Gil Melendez. He actually threw more punches against Gil Melendez than—or more strikes, rather—more strikes against Gil Melendez than Duhu Choi did against Cub Swanson, which is crazy to think about. He's got just as good, if not better, of an output— and he mixes up his strikes better, too. That's the other thing. Jeremy Stevens throws more leg kicks than than do who Troy does. So I I can see him being more creative in here and getting the win.
2: Yeah, uh, well said. Because Jeremy Stevens also has more power. So there's your dog pick uh, for Jeremy Stevens. Nice little dog pick for you there. Uh, Uriah Hall is a minus 245 favorite against Vitor Belfort, the plus 205 dog. Who are you taking?
0: Uh, I, I just can't see any way around this. you got to pick Uriah Hall. Uh, both of these guys are definitely big ups and big downs. They look so good in one fight and so bad in the next one. Uh, I-, I just see Uriah Hall peppering him with a lot of different creative shots, and Vidor just being a step or two too slow at this point in time in his career. You know, he's off the TRT, he's smaller, he's slower. Uh, And I just think that plays right into somebody who's very quick like Uriah Hall's hands. Yeah, agreed.
2: When it's not TRT Vitor, I lose a lot of faith there. I'm fine picking Hall as a minus 245 favorite. And then uh, probably the most exciting fighter on the card this weekend, also the heaviest favorite, it's Kamari Usman. We mentioned him earlier as a possible uh, title challenger to Woodley later in the year. Usman is a minus 570 favorite to Emil Meek, the plus 435 dog. I know you're going to pick Usman Gumby. Can you give us a path to victory for
0: Meek? Yeah, I think the easy path to victory here for me is that Meek has just got a lot of different stuff. And if he gets in close quarters he could definitely hit him with like an elbow or a knee and knock him out. He should go in with the same approach as he went in against Husmal Palharis in uh, Venator, which is an Italian promotion. If he goes in with the same strategy that when he comes in, I need to hit him and hit him fucking hard. Uh, he's got knockout power, so he could definitely end Usman that way. But to me, Usman is just too well-rounded, and he's he's a favorite for a reason, because he should be a favorite in that division moving forward.
2: All right. Well, there you have it. That is our breakdown for FS1's Do Who Choi vs. Jeremy Stevens headline, Fight Night. Uh, We, of course, are Top Turtle MMA podcast. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. We, of course, want to thank our wonderful sponsors, our wonderful guests, including Dennis Bermudez, and you, the fans, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Wherever a podcast is being streamed, search for us. Give us a like, a download, a review even. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle podcast studio. We'll be back next week with a very special episode, 100. See you then.